it is time for another Fortune or Proverb episode. So we are going to play our church game show, Fortune or Proverb. So let's roll, uh, let's roll that game show. It's time to play Fortune or Proverb. Hard work pays off in the future. Laziness pays off now. So is that a fortune or is that a proverb? Hard work. Fortune? I'm hearing, I'm here, I heard one proverb. I heard mostly fortune. What do we think? Fortune. Let's see what that is. It's a fortune. Eat honey, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Oh, overwhelmingly proverb. Proverb. Um, Milt had a nice prayer, and I don't think we'll have our congregational prayer. The film that we're going to watch is about 26 minutes, and um, in order to get that in and the offertory afterwards, I think we'll just uh, go to that film. Let's have a quick word of prayer before we watch the film. Dear gracious and almighty God, we come before you in the morning hour of this your Sabbath day. We thank you, dear Lord, for this opportunity to gather. We thank you for the freedom that you've given us that we may gather as a congregation here in this wonderful country. We ask at this time, dear Lord, that you'll send your spirit. May your spirit come dwell in our hearts and our souls and our minds. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, dear Lord, to hear the message that you have for us. We know, dear Lord, that your spirit works among us in each and every day and in wonderful ways. And we ask now that you pour your spirit out on us as we, as we watch this tape and as we um, spend time together. In your name we pray. Amen. I guess, Brandon, you can go ahead and roll it. Good morning. It is time for another Fortune or Proverb episode. So we are going to play our church game show, Fortune or Proverbs. So let's roll, uh, let's roll that game show. It's time to play Fortune or Proverbs. Hard work pays off in the future. Laziness pays off now. So is that a fortune or is that a proverb? Hard work. Fortune? I'm hearing, I'm here, I heard one proverb. I heard mostly fortunes. What do we think? Fortune. Let's see what that is. It's a fortune! Eat honey, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Oh, overwhelmingly proverb. Proverb. That was a proverb. Proverbs 24, 13. Fear is interest paid on a debt you may not owe. Fortune? Proverb? Lauren thinks it's a proverb. Lauren thinks it's a fortune. 
Fortune? What, what is that one? Fortune. Fortune. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Proverb? Proverb? That was a proverb. Proverbs 22, 24. It is better to live humbly among the poor than to live it up among the rich and famous. Mmm. Proverb, to live it up among the rich and famous. From our holy book, Proverbs 16, 9. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's wonderful. We are obviously in Proverbs, and we should go to our Lord in prayer before we uh, continue any further. Let us, let, us, uh, let us pray. Father in heaven, um, before we go any further, we need to pray. And we need to say that we adore you. We adore you, Father, and we ask for your praise to pour from our hearts and mouths. There's nothing in this world that compares with you. You are good. We have seen that. You are just. We know that. You are loving and kind and merciful. We've experienced that. And... In Jesus Christ, you are our Redeemer. It is only through his death and rising again that we might have any hope, any inkling of grace. Indeed, it took a man coming back from the dead to bring us from death back to life. And so all here who trust in you, all here who fear you, all here who love you, want to take this time to thank you. We thank you for what you have done in Jesus by sending your only son to die on the cross for us. Oh, what grace. Greater, grace greater than all our sin. And so we want to live lives that respond to this grace in thankfulness. We want to live lives that show that what you have done hasn't been for naught, but has been so that we might live changed lives. May your wisdom empower us to live and breathe and work and rest by gospel power, your gospel power. As we now come to your word, open our hearts to what you have to say to us this morning. Some of us need a kick in the pants to turn our lives in such a way that our vocational power glorifies you. Some of us need a kick in the pants that reminds us that the power belongs to you and comes from God. And it is not us, but it is Christ through us that we are able to serve you. But we all need a reminder of the grace found in Jesus. So take my feeble words, my sidetracks, my weak illustrations, and turn them into the power of God unto salvation. Glorify your Son, Father, and may the Son glorify the Father. Amen. Our scripture passage this morning comes from the book of Proverbs. Uh, as you kind of can kind of tell by the the opening video. We are in the book of Proverbs this this summer, and we're, we are thinking about uh, the wealth of wisdom. So we're going to be looking at Proverbs uh, chapter 6 and Proverbs chapter 26. So Proverbs chapter 6, starting at verse 6 uh, through 11. I'll read that, and then I will read also 26, 13 through 16. So if you have a Bible, please open that up and follow along. The words will also be on the screen. This is Proverbs 6. Listen diligently to God's word. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. 
Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And then just over a few pages to Proverbs 26, verse 13. The sluggard says, There's a lion in the road! There's a lion in the streets! As the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive this food from your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. That all that we say and do, the light of Christ might be seen in what we do today. In our acts and work of love, and our deeds of faith. In Christ's name alone we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Ben Gandy, and I am one of the pastors here at Sunshine, and I get to bring the message this morning. I get to uh, talk about God's Word and guide us through this understanding, this, this, uh, this study of God's Word. And as I've said, we are in the book of Proverbs. We're in uh, the middle of a summer sermon series where we are walking through uh, the book of wisdom, the book of uh, wisdom literature. That's just uh, a a fancy way of saying one of the books in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, where we're understanding what uh, it means to live wisely, what it means to live wisely. As I say, Proverbs is a book about wisdom, And wisdom is simply just the right application of experience and knowledge that results in good and just judgment and actions. Wisdom is the right application of experience and knowledge that results in good uh, judgment and actions. And that means that wise living is a response. When we live wisely, we are responding to something. We are responding, in fact, to the gospel. The gospel is, first and foremost, The good news that while we were still sinners, God deemed it fit to send his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live a perfect life, to die a horrible death on a cross, to be crucified, died and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And the gospel says that if you trust in the good news, in the saving work of Jesus Christ, where he died to pay for your sins, you will be saved. And if there's any response to the gospel that's a wise response, that's a thankful response, it's that, to trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll just stop there and say that if this is uh, just news to you, if you've never heard this before, that is the response that we want to impress upon you as a church, to trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, for you will be saved. But as we grow in our Christian faith, we need to think about how we're going to live our lives as Christians. And we want to live wisely. So how we live our lives is a response to that work that we just talked about, the gospel. 
And the quality of our response matters too. We can't just live our lives saying, I live for, for God, I live for Jesus because I believe in him. No, it must be a life lived wisely. Uh, this is what, we studied the Heidelberg Catechism as a church, and this is what the Catechism says. That we do good because Christ by his spirit is also renewing us to be like himself. We live wisely. What we do, we uh, do because Christ, uh, uh, he, he redeemed us by his blood. And so he's renewing us to be like himself. And then, so that in all our living, we may show that we are thankful to God for all he has done and so that he might be praised through us. In other words, as people living after Jesus, we're living a thankful life. After Jesus has returned to heaven, wise living is a thankful response to what God has done. And wise living asks a very specific question. It says this. It says, how is my living showing God that I am thankful? How is my living showing God that I am thankful? So we've looked so far in this Proverbs uh, sermon series about marriage and singleness. How do I live wisely if I am a married person or if I'm a single person? We've looked in this Proverbs series about how do I live remaining sexual, sexually pure and, uh, and in my relationships. What does that mean? We'll look later on this summer at the wise use of wealth and how that is a response to the good grace and the goodness that God has given us. And we'll even look later on at how do I respond to, how do I interact, what is my relationship like with alcohol. So we'll look at all those things. But today we are looking at what it means to live wisely, to live a thankful life when it comes to if and how we work. Now the sermon is titled Sluggards. Uh, because that's the word that we see in, in the Bible that we saw in our text. But it's really a sermon about work and our attitude toward work. And I, and I want to just pause there and just say it's about our attitude toward not only just how we make money, but our attitude and how we spend our lives, how we spend our days, how we spend our lives, and what we do with the energy that God gives us and, and how we respond to that. So, so I don't want us to think of narrow, narrow response, uh, a, a narrow idea of work. It's just what I do between uh, 8 and, and 5.30 or, or whenever I go to, to work. Work is a response and it encompasses all that we do with the energy and the time God gives us. So we're going to look at Proverbs uh, 6 and then Proverbs 26 and see what this uh, passage tells us about how our approach to work if you uh, picked up a bulletin, in the bulletin there should be these notes that you can follow along the way. I encourage you because they kind of uh, highlight the three kind of bullet points that we'll look at. And so first we'll look at creation and work. So look with me again at Proverbs 6 as we think about creation and work as God designed work as part of a creation. Proverbs 6 says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Now, we'll just stop there, and what do we know about ants? What do we know? When I was a wee boy, when I was maybe about Ezra's age or maybe just a little bit younger, uh, my father uh, got an ant farm. We sent away for it in the mail, and we got the ant farm, and then we got the ants as well. And it was a narrow kind of uh, glass-sided uh, a, a viewing thing that you put the sand in and then you put the ants in and then you could watch them uh, begin to scurry around and they would dig tunnels and then they would uh, build caverns and then they would pile up the dirt outside so you could see from uh, either side what these ants were doing. 
And they were economical in their movements. They were industrious. Hardly ever did they sit, uh, hardly ever did they sit still and ponder and think or rest. They were just working, working. And, 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 and they were uh, 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 being useful with their time. So the writer of the Proverbs, his name was Solomon, the guy who wrote this, uh, we believe. He says, look at the ant, O sluggard. Sluggard is just a slothful, lazy person. This word is only found in this book of Proverbs. He says, look at the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without, verse 7, having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Now, scientifically, we know this not to be true. We know that uh, we can look at it and uh, scientists have discovered, studied ants, and that there's a queen ant and she's kind of the mother of all the ants and uh, she kind of, uh, kind of uh, not directs, but she, she kind of rules over them. But as they were, as they were studying these ants, skirt, l- looking down on the ground, um, maybe with a magnifying glass, maybe that's just B, but they were sci- looking at this they, they couldn't see uh, what they understood for their context. In their context, they would have seen uh, and understood uh, how do we motivate people to work. Well, we have slave drivers. We have masters. We have forceful motivators that encourage people to work. But they looked at these ants. And they, they, didn't, they didn't have any of these motivate, motiv- motivators. They, they were self motivators and indeed what what did these ants work for these ants weren't working because they looked back and said we didn't have enough then we didn't have enough in the past we didn't we uh, we we need to do something about it now these ants were proactively working for the future verse 8 preparing uh, uh, metaphorically speaking preparing bread in summer when it's when it's a time of plenty and gathering food and harvest and all this uh, just it, it, it points to a very, uh, a very important fact that we have to look at, that we must not ignore, and it's this. This is our first point. That God designed work to be part of the created order. We see it in the fabric of creation. And it is a response to his call on our lives. Now I used to have a I used to have a mentor. Uh, we've kind of lost touch, but his name is P. And he uh, he would say he would say a funny joke. He would say, "You know, Ben, work is work is a four letter word." And, and what he meant by that was work was a curse. It was uh, a, a thing to be avoided. It was just horrible toil. And 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 I want to push against that because I understood what he meant, but what he was speaking to was work after after sin came into the world. Indeed, if we go back to the beginning of the Bible, before the fall, in Genesis chapter 2, the first book, the second chapter of the first book of the Bible, the Lord God takes this man named Adam. And he takes him, the very first man, and puts him in the garden, Genesis 2.15, to work and keep it. In other words, work before the fall, Work was in creation before there was a curse, before we knew about kind of four-letter words, before we knew about this uh, 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 horrible toil, uh, the, uh, the immense effort that we need to put into work. And so God designed humans, designed us to work and put this work 
ethnic understanding in the fabric of creation. That's why we can go to the ants and see what work is like. That's why horses are our work animals. Oxen are beasts of burden. Lions hunt for their food. And God made you and me to go out and tend and work and keep and do uh, do something with our time, useful with our time. And that's just the first thing. Before we go any further, we must see that creation, a part of creation, part of our participation in creation is to work. But secondly, this, this writer of the Proverbs goes on and he says, and he kind of directly talks to this sluggard in verse 9. He says in verse 9, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? In other words, you can imagine he's talking to the sluggard and the sluggard's just lying down there when there's work to be done. There's nothing wrong with lying down and taking a nap. But when the, this is excessive laying in, this is a laziness when there are tasks to be done, when there are chores to be done, when there are jobs to be done. He, the, the writer says, when will you arise from your sleep? You've been there so long. And then verse 10 is just kind of a metaphorical uh, answer to that. It says, oh, just a little, a little sleep, just a little, just a wee little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. That's what the sluggard says. That's all I mean, just a little bit, just a little, five minutes more, five minutes more, five minutes. Um, yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's condemning. I didn't know I was going to say that, but that's condemning. <laughs> but... Uh, so, is my microphone, did it turn off? Hello, I'm back. Um, a little sleep, a little rest, uh, a little folding of the hands, but then it says in verse 11, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, like a, and want like an armed man. In other words, if we spend too much time resting, where will that provision come from? Now, I think that there, and I need to take an aside and talk about two financial traps here, two actual forms of idolatry. Now, listen. First, I want to warn against the idolatry of self-importance. And I might speak to younger ones here, younger, younger audience members here. This idolatry, there's two idolatries, the idolatry of self-importance and the idolatry of self-provision. The first idolatry has the attitude that provision and flourishing will come and should come without hard work. Uh, basically, all I could do is I, I could just uh, gamble on something. I can just post one video and then I get a million likes and all of this should boost my uh, uh, assets and, and, and all these kinds of things. It says, this idolatry says, uh, I am titled to X and Y and Z and if I do not get it, this world is an unjust and unfair place. And to that attitude, I would say you are absolutely right. The world is an unfair place. But that doesn't mean you should get what you want when you want it. I have a 17-month-old son, and that is something that we are both learning at the same time, but I get to teach him. And as, I have, as we have just said, God designed work into the fabric, fabric of creation. He delights in children using their gifts, their skills, and time for their own provision and for enjoyment. He wants us to do that. 
But the second idolatry, so that's the first idolatry, that I am so important that I don't need to work. I don't need to spend my, I can spend my time high. But the second idolatry is this, the idolatry of self-provision. And this is for young and old. This idolatry says this. It has the attitude that provision and even flourishing have come and will come only because I have worked hard. It says, all this that I see before me, I have worked hard for. I have worked and earned this, and those who have less than me are unwilling to work hard for position and possessions. I am a good person because I work hard, and that is just as much an idolatry. Because I tell you, those of us who, have, who are privileged to have a better view must not forget the shoulders and the blessings on which we stand to see over the trees. I think this second idolatry, the second form of idolatry, is much more prevalent as I've seen in West Michigan and in my life and even in this church. So I warn us to guard our hearts and minds, dear friends. Guard our hearts and minds. Instead, think about this, and it's the second point. It's this, that God provides for his people. He does. And yet he may also use his people to provide for his people. God provides work for his people and jobs and opportunities and we may use those, he may use those and us to carry on his good work in the world. So we think about uh, many different kinds of work. We can think of redemptive work where God is actively saving and reconciling. How do we take part in God's redemptive work? Maybe as evangelists, pastors, counselors, but also songwriters and poets who talk about God's redeeming actions in their novels, in their, in their poems. We can think about taking part in God's creative work where he fashions of the physical and human world. Maybe potters, seamstresses, interior designers, fashion designers, carpenters, builders. They're taking part with their, with, with their uh, uh, time and, and providing for themselves and maybe for God's people. We think of God's provision, providential work for sustaining humans and creation. This might be public utility workers, public policymakers, shopkeepers, career counselors, shipbuilders, farmers even, civil servants and uh, janitors. Maybe we do justice work, God's maintenance of justice. Maybe we're judges, lawgivers, government regulators, secretaries, legal secretaries, city managers, diplomats. Two more. Maybe we are involved in the comfort, healing, guiding, and shepherding, which is God's compassionate work. That would be a doctor, a nurse, a speech therapist, a counselor, a social worker. Or maybe we are directly involved with God's work to enlighten the truth. That could be preachers. It could be scientists. Educators, journalists, scholars, writers are all involved in that sort of work. And these are ways that God duly provides for his people. God provides for his people and may use his people to provide for his people. All provision ultimately comes from, from God and he might use your utility to provide for others. It's, uh, uh, it's, uh, I was talking with uh, Jeff Yakes and, and Ashley this week and we were talking about sermon illustrations. Um, we often... Uh, pastors look for sermon illustrations. We're looking throughout the whole week and we're trying to find it. And Jeff had actually pointed me toward uh, the idea of tools in a shed. You are a tool uh, in a shed, not 
you are, you are, so I was thinking about my grandfather's, uh, my grandfather is a World War II veteran and he's excellent with electronics and mechanical things. And he has hundreds of tools in his garage and his, in his, in his uh, uh, tool shed, tool uh, shop. Thank you. And um, he has all these tools and you can tell the ones they get used the most because they're kind of worn down or the edges of the chisels are shiny or, or whatnot. And, 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 and the ones that aren't used as much are actually a little bit more rusty. They're a little bit uh, uh, duller, you know. And in a way, we too can look at our, our opportunities that God provides us to be used in his service. Like we are tools. And the one who refuses, the sluggard who refuses to work, to serve, may grow rusty and irrelevant and useless and ultimately is robbing and this is the this is the point that I want to make here if god uses me to provide for other people but i refuse to work i might be robbing god's my neighbor god's god's son or daughter and the provision that god has for them in other words i get to provide for somebody else through what i get to do it's not a matter of boasting that's not what i'm talking about it's a matter of how is God using me for his glory for somebody else? Time is going. Let's, let's move to Exodus, uh, Exodus, Proverbs 26. Not Exodus, Proverbs 26. And look at when, we, when are we to work? What is our life rhythm? This is Proverbs 26. And this is where the sluggard says this. There's a line in the road. There is a line in the streets. Can, can you not see it? And of course, there's no line in the road. This is just the sluggard making up an excuse for why they don't want to go to work. It is making up uh, an excuse for, oh, there's something in the way and I better not go. Or as verse 14 says, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. And you think about what a hinge on a door does. It does a lot of activity. Uh, a, a hinge on a door turns and moves this way and that, but actually doesn't go anywhere. So does the sluggard, says uh, the writer. The sluggard turns and turns but does nothing. The sluggard is, is so unwilling to go and work and spend their time working that they put their hands in the bowl, in the dish, verse 15, but it wears him out to bring it back to his... It is too much to finish the job. And as my mom would say, and she still says, and I still don't like it, she would say, a job half done isn't done at all. So thank you, mom, I was listening. But it's true. Even going so far as to, I will do it, I will do it, and doing it halfway, but not getting it done, is a sign of sluggishness. And eventually we come back to the wisdom, the understanding, that a sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. In other words, there is no wisdom and understanding about when I can work, except I just make up excuses. The slugger just makes up excuses as, as to why he or she won't go to work. And so this brings us to the last thing we'll talk about. It is that there is a rhythm of work. The slugger to say, it's not time. There's a line in the road. Uh, there's a line in the road. I'm just going to turn on my bed. I'm not going to do this. But God gives us a work and a rest rhythm. Living with that rhythm is a wise way 
not a foolish way, but a wise way to respond to his grace. What does this mean? This means that wisdom recognizes that God's purpose for us are both to take time to work and to rest. If you read in the beginning of the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth, the, the, seas, and the, the seas and the sky and the stars and all these kinds of things, and he created them in six days. But on the seventh day, God rested, and he gave us that day to worship and to enjoy him and to rest from our good works. It was God's gracious gift to people that a whole day, 24 hours, 14% of your week is there just to rest and to worship him. And so it is a beautiful thing that we get to spend the 86% of our, of our time thinking about what do I get to do? How do I get to serve? How do I get to work to honor him? But then the 4% is just, 14% is just as important. How do I worship and rest in him? And that is a rhythm. Too much of one, too much of the other, and the balance, the balance comes off. But in that, even in that, God provides for us. I just want to say a couple more things. First, uh, you might think, well, I, I spent time working. I spent 30, 40, 50 years at that company working, and now it's my time to retire, to rest. But I would say to you that this is God speaking not only to provision, but it's also God speaking to work for him and his kingdom. And there are great saints that we can read about or even talk to who say, my, my, my work might be done, but my service to him and his kingdom is not done. Is not done. And secondly, we must think about what does this mean for our actions? When we step back and think about this, when we go to test all that we've said, all that I've said, to see if it's good, we've got to ask, that this is just ethics. Can we ask, would Jesus do these things? Would Jesus work hard, consider the ant? Would he recognize that God designed work as part of created order? Would Jesus indeed see work as provision? And would Jesus even find time to work and rest? It's why those, uh, just, just as an ethical aside, it's why those what would Jesus do bracelets are so powerful because it's just asking a quick ethical question. Would Jesus do this? Would Jesus see work in this way and laziness in this way? And the answer is absolutely he would. Christ models right work for us by doing the most wonderful, peculiar work of coming to this earth in active obedience. And what does John what does John ten eighteen ten eighteen tell us? That he laid down his life on his own accord, going to do the great work of salvation for us. And in fact, he still does work for our benefit. His dying and rising secured for us a share in righteousness. He continues to work on our behalf, pleading our case with God on the throne. And his spirit works to empower us, guide us through this life until Christ comes again. So I just want just to close with just, just uh, two points of application. Maybe, maybe three. We'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll, the first is from Colossians uh, 3, 23 and 24. And it's on the back. 
in the home connection. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. I didn't put the verse there. I should have put the verse there. But you might be familiar with the verse. It says this. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Ultimately, just like the ant, there might we might have masters over us or we might, just like the ant, not have masters over us. But the great and good master who guides us and encourages us and provides work for our hands is our Lord. So work for him. Offer your lives as a pleasing sacrifice to him and work. And secondly, secondly, does anyone remember what is the first thing that, that Pastor Josh, Pastor Cody, and I say when we get up here? What's the first thing that we say? I get to. We got, we got that from a good friend of ours. Um, and Jeff reminds us of that all the time. But if we view work, if we view our time here on earth and our opportunities to spend ourselves as a get to and not a have to, there will be great joy in God's invitation to work for him. Praise the Lord for this time. Let us go to him now in prayer. Let us go to him now in prayer. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we come before you and uh, we just pray to you. You have, given, you have given us a opportunity to go forth and spend our lives for you. So if it be your will, let us proceed in it. And if not, then turn us around. All we want in life is such circumstances as may best enable us to serve you in this world. And so to this end, we want to leave our concerns in your hand. Let us not be discouraged if this hinders our spiritual fervency. Instead, enable us to undertake some task for you, for this refreshes and animates our souls, so that if we could endure our hardships and labors and willingly suffer for thy name, for your name, may we do so. What a glorious death it is to strive and labor, to always be in a hurry and yet do nothing if only it is for Christ. So, Father God, may we be flames of fire in your service, always burning out in one continual blaze for you. Father God, use our ransomed lives in any way you choose, but may we work and serve you for the glory of God and Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. For his, um, for his wonderful message and uh, for you people for putting up with us as we, as we go through this. Um, <clears throat> next, we're going to sing a song and let's rise and sing What a Friend We Have.